Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. This can be found on page 743 and 744 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible or if you know someone that needs one, go ahead and, and take that one from, uh, from the pew as a gift from us. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Anthony Emerson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Brookside, especially if this is your first time. Welcome. We're glad that you are here, and thank you for joining us. Um, I'd love to start with the time of prayer, uh, so would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and the opportunity to study it together this morning. We ask that you would make your message to us clear today. Would you be present and active in our hearts? Amen. Well, what does God have to say to us after election week? In Daniel 6, through this text, what is his word to us? I think that it is the same thing he would have had for us if we had studied this text the week before. I think it's the same message he would have had for us a hundred years ago. And I think it's the same message he had for his people 2,500 years ago when Daniel was first written. The message today is the same as it always has and always has been in Daniel 6, and it is this. Regardless of your circumstances, keep calm and pray on. Keep calm and pray on. Many of us are familiar with the now famous British World War II propaganda poster, Keep Calm and Carry On. This poster was to be put up all around England if Germany was able to invade in World War II. And now it's a well-known pop culture reference meme, a lot of parodies of it. A couple of my favorite parody memes are Keep Calm and uh, Call Batman. Keep Calm, Pop Bubble Wrap, uh, and my personal favorite, Now Panic and Freak Out. Uh, now, apart from this whole poster thing, I think this is what Daniel 6 has for us. Keep calm and pray on, whatever the circumstances might be. But before we unpack what that means, what that looks like, let me note what we are not saying today. We are not saying, have no emotion and pray on. 
We are emotional beings, and there is a time to lament, and there is a time to rejoice, and we need to be honest with ourselves and with others about where we're at. So don't hear keep calm as you're not allowed to have emotion, strong feelings. It's not what we're saying. We're also not saying keep calm and stick your head in the sand. Prayer is not an excuse for a lack of action. We are called to be engaged and involved in our culture. And prayer is not the opposite of action, as we'll see today. But still, prayer, really, that's the best you got. We're just supposed to pray. Those are the questions I was asking as I was starting to wrestle with this text. And I want us to keep those questions in mind as we go through this story. And in this story, we're going to see two circumstances in which keeping calm and praying on makes sense, and one reason for why it makes sense. So two circumstances and one main reason for why this isn't just a cop-out. So let's dive in. The first of these circumstances is keep calm and pray on when you feel in control. We've been talking about for the past couple weeks about living without control, but what do you do when you have control? We see this in the story with Darius, the new ruler of the empire. Darius's is now the third administration that Daniel has served during his lifetime. Daniel's now about 80 years old. No more Nebuchadnezzar, no more Belshazzar, no more Babylonian empire. In 539 BC, Persia conquers Babylon, enter the Persian empire, enter Darius. Now we don't know a huge amount about Darius. Uh, Cyrus, historical records tell us, was the emperor of Persia during this time. And, and Darius might be another name for Cyrus, but more likely, Darius is some kind of governor for Emperor Cyrus in the region of Babylon where Daniel is. But whatever the case, let's look at this story first through his eyes. Darius is setting up his government. This is his first 100 days in office. And he's setting up his administration. He's arranging the furniture the way he likes it. Now look at verses 1 and, and 2. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Darius is attempting to maximize here his control over Babylon. He's setting people in place so that he knows everything that's going on. He has all of his bases covered. He wants control and he's establishing a system so that he can have it. Natural enough. But then he starts going too far in his pursuit of power. Some of his officials get jealous of Daniel who Darius has promoted over them, and they concoct a plan to bring down Daniel. And Darius begins to go wrong with his response to their plan. Look at verse 6. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, here's his response, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This is a weird-sounding law. Why is he passing it into legislation? Remember, this is because this is a new kingdom. This is a new ruler. Darius is probably a bit insecure. He's wondering, how do I remind people who's in charge around here? And these officials give him the answer, for 30 days, everyone in the kingdom has to pray to you, have to say your name. Not bad. Sure, these people might not actually be sincere when they're praying to him, but it's great marketing. And all of Darius's top people are on board, so he agrees. I mean, can you see him at this point? He's sitting on his throne in his new palace and this new kingdom. People are praying to him. He has servants at his beck and call. One of them's probably fanning him with a palm branch. Life is pretty good. Control is a good life. But the next day, he gets some bad news. Daniel, his favorite and most important advisor, is found to have broken the law already. This law that he just signed, he had been praying to his God and not to Darius. And his punishment is death, being thrown in with the lions. And Darius, who just yesterday was basking in his power and glory, in verses 14 through 18, betrays what a life with control ends up looking like. What a life dependent on having control and power looks like. So I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. And as I do that, notice the emotions that Darius feels, what the fruit of a life with control is. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. In other words, there's nothing you can do here, Darius. So then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Skip to verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, distress, labor, mistakes, not being able to eat, not being able to sleep, worry, haste, anguish. This is the fruit of a life built around the need for control. This is what you and I experience when we depend on our ability to control what's around us. Tim Keller has a good thought experiment, and it goes like this. Which of your past selves would you trust to run your life now? Would you trust your four-year-old self to be in charge of your life right now? Probably not. Would you trust your 14-year-old self to run your life right now? Probably not. How about your 24-year-old self? Where does it end? Probably nowhere. I mean, every past version of yourself has a little less knowledge, a little less wisdom. How about yourself 10 years from now? Would your future self want your current self running your life then? You see, when we stop and think about it, we don't even trust ourselves to be in control of our own lives. And if you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm in control of my future, I'm in a good place, whether politically or personally, great. That's not a bad thing, but don't depend on that. When we depend on having power and control, when we let the state of our hearts rely on what is happening around us, we end up looking like Darius, stressed out, constantly defensive, chronically worried. So keep calm and pray on. That means when you feel in control of your life, don't get too excited. Because ultimately, you are not really in control. I mean, look at Darius. He was a king, and he didn't have control. He was reduced to fasting and praying all night. All he had left was prayer. And you and I are not absolute monarchs like Darius. We are not kings. Don't delude yourself into thinking you're in control. And even if you feel like you're in control, sooner or later you will realize that you are not. So don't build your life around having control. Build it around prayer. Don't get intoxicated with the feeling that you are in control. Keep calm and pray on. So keep calm and pray on when you feel in control. Some of us may be there today, but many of us may feel like we do not have control. So not only when you feel in control, but also keep calm and pray on when you don't have control. We followed Darius through the story and saw what life is like with control. Now let's zoom in on Daniel and see what this looks like through his eyes when you don't have control. Notice a few things about Daniel and how he lives. First look at verse 3. Then Daniel became distinguished, it says, 
above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel is again employee of the month. This time in Persia. This is a theme in his life. He is good at what he does. And like we said earlier, Daniel is not a stick-your-head-in-the-sand kind of guy. He is excelling in government leadership. And he gets promoted again. I mean, Daniel walks into a room and gets promoted. Somehow, Darius's plan to promote Daniel gets leaked to the other officials, and they want to take Daniel down. And for those of you with your own workplace drama, I hope this encourages you. It's been going on for a long time. And these guys start digging. This guy has been in public office for years. He must have some dirt, something we can blackmail him with. But look at verse 4. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. All they find is that he's incorruptible and above reproach. Now they are looking at a foreigner who's more successful than they are and also more integral than they are, and now they are really mad. And they have one move left. If they can't nail him on his vice, they'll nail him on his virtue. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so they bring this plan that we talked about before King Darius to make this law that everyone must pray to him for 30 days. Daniel, it says, hears about the law after the fact. Perhaps a friend tells him, assuming he approved the idea. Daniel shakes his head, no, I I didn't but he's not done. He knows what's going on. He knows he's being targeted, that some powerful people want him out of the way. So what does he do? Let's read verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel has had a routine of prayer for over 50 years. And if it were me, this would be the day it would change. This would be the first day that I shut the windows and I pray privately, silently, so no one knows. For Daniel, this day is just like any other day. He did what he always did, knowing that his enemies were watching, waiting for him to slip up. He kneels down, a dead giveaway, and prays with his windows open. He gives thanks to God for his rich blessings. He makes petition, no doubt, on behalf of Persia and Darius. Keep calm and pray on when you don't have control. Daniel cannot control that there is an unjust law that can lead to his death. 
He can't control that there's a group of people who hate him and want him gone. He doesn't have control. And he responds in prayer. Notice this very significant point, that whereas Darius built his life around having control, Daniel, his days revolved around a pattern of prayer. And whereas Darius's reliance on power and control lead to stress and worry and self-inflicted wounds, not being able to sleep, Daniel and his consistent practice of prayer is calm, determined, faithful, strong. Prayer is better than control. Instead of responding in kind by slandering the high officials who were after him, instead of compromising his beliefs so that he could keep his powerful position, instead of being controlled by his need for control, Daniel prays, just like he always has. When you do not have control, when you don't know what's Next, when you or your family or your security or your job or your friends are in danger, keep calm and pray on. Theologian Sunchan Ra tells about the prayer life of his mother. For years, she knelt and prayed on her hardwood bedroom floor. And she did this for so long and so consistently that eventually her kneecaps literally began to split. Over time, her knee's bone structure had been reformed. And while I would not advise kneeling on a hardwood floor for long periods of time, if you can help it, we do need to ask ourselves, are we being formed by our prayer life? Do you look like a different person because of how you pray. Daniel has been consistently praying for 50 plus years. He has been formed by it. That's why he is able to keep calm and pray on in the face of danger. He has become the kind of person who is not phased by threats, but is centered in prayer. Keep calm and pray on is not a slogan for him. It is who he is. Would you say that about yourself? Just in case your answer is no to that question, probably a couple of us in the house, let me give some model prayers. It always helps to have someone model something we're trying to learn. So listen to a couple of these beautiful, holy, really spiritual prayers. For example, dear Lord, help me to relax about insignificant details. Beginning tomorrow at 7.41 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Help me to be more laid back and help me to do it exactly right. Please give me patience, Lord. And I mean right now. Give me patience right now, Lord. Amen. And I shared this one with our young adults uh, a couple weeks ago, but it goes, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, or selfish. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. 
Amen. But I do want to look at a couple practical tips on prayer we can pick up from Daniel in this chapter. In verse 10 in particular, notice a few items. First, make a specific time for prayer a habit. Daniel has a set schedule for prayer. He doesn't haphazardly pray whenever the idea strikes him. He intentionally carves out time three times a day to speak with God on a regular basis. You and I will not have a vibrant prayer life without a set pattern of time in which we do so each day. Make a specific time a habit. But just as we are creatures of habit in regard to time, so we are creatures of habit in regard to space. So make a specific place a habit. Daniel's done the same thing for decades. He's gone into his room and prayed in a particular direction. Find a a specific place that works for you. Maybe it's your favorite chair or at the office. Wherever it is, find not only a time but also a place and get into a good rut. Make a specific place a habit. Lastly, like Daniel, pray toward home. Daniel is in exile in Persia, and he prays toward Jerusalem, his home. And likewise for us, we are not home in this world. We too are in exile. Prayer is when we set our minds and hearts toward home, when we can be attentive to and aware of God's kingdom, when we can attend to God's presence with us and His actions around us, we orient ourselves toward our true home. Over time, that forms us. And you become the kind of person that can flourish in the midst of hate and persecution, that can thrive without control. But is that our best hope? to endure suffering calmly, to be stoical in the face of danger. Is that the best reason we can give for a life of prayer? Thankfully, no. And we keep calm and pray on because God is in control. That's the main reason you've been hearing that over the last couple weeks if you have been here. Because as we've been noticing throughout the book of Daniel, it's It just happens over and over with whatever the circumstances are. God is in control. So let's let's finish the story. Daniel, God's faithful servant, is thrown into the lion's den. And Darius, who doesn't sleep a wink all night, rushes out to the lion's den at daybreak the next day. He's hoping against hope. And like a crazy person, he starts shouting at the rock to see if Daniel is alive. And to everyone's shock, a reply comes from the darkness. Daniel in verse 21 says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel is delivered. He doesn't have a scratch on him. And how does Darius respond? He praises God. 
He realizes who has been at work this whole time. He realizes that it is God who is ultimately in control. And he writes to his empire in verses 26 through 27. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is going to sound a little bit like a random question, but have you ever heard of a royal homeless person? Of someone who came from a royal family whose father is the king, but who for whatever reason ended up on the streets? No, that's nonsensical. Why? Well, because they know the king. He's their dad. They have access to him. And he'll make sure that they don't end up on the street no matter how messed up they may be. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have access to the king the one truly in control. You are his son and daughter. Why go around and try to gain control for ourselves when we have the ear of the one who is truly in control? Prayer is the same life. It is what makes sense. Because we don't just pray to a kindly grandfather who's chilling on a cloud somewhere. We pray to the one who reigns, as John Piper says, over all nations, over all armies, all cancer cells, all politics, all churches, and all false religions. And you can add to that list from our story today all lions, all laws, all injustices, and all elected or appointed officials. Darius says it, God's kingdom shall never be destroyed. God's dominion shall be to the end. He alone is in control. You don't need control. You get to pray to the one in control. And this is crucial because when your worldview is centered on God, and not the President of the United States, as important as that is. When your reality is primarily the vibrant presence and active power and strong love of God, when you wake up to a world each day that is not out of your control but in God's control, then you can trust Him. And when you trust Him, then you can live with joy and peace no matter the circumstances, knowing that the Father is going to take care of you, and He can. And when you live with joy and peace no matter the circumstances, knowing that the Father is going to take care of you, then you have the ability to love and serve others, even if they are your enemies, even if they mean you harm. God is in control. The sane response is to keep calm and pray on. 
500 years after Daniel died of old age, another Israelite living under a foreign power, this time the Roman Empire, knew that a plot was afoot to kill him unjustly. He knew that powerful people wanted him dead and gone, and his response was not to grasp for control, though he certainly could have done so. His response was to go to a garden called Gethsemane and to pray. Though he sweat blood because he was in such anguish of soul, though it is okay to worry and fear, he brought his cares to his all-powerful Father in prayer. He understood that his Father was in control and he could trust Him. So he went to his death confident in the Father. And three days later, he, like Daniel, to everyone's shock, was found alive at daybreak. Whether we feel in control or we don't have control, keep calm and pray on. Jesus is alive, and God is in control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would teach us to pray, that you would enrapture us with a vision of your power and your goodness that draws us into a more vibrant life of prayer where we trust in you and place our confidence in you. We also pray for our elected officials, Lord, as you have commanded us to do so. We lift up to you President-elect Trump, and ask that you would help him to place his trust and faith in you. Give him wisdom and guidance as he prepares for the presidency. We also ask, Lord, that you would bless President Obama. Be with him in these final months of leadership. Encourage and strengthen him. And be with all of our elected officials across this country. Please help our leaders to govern well, Lord. We ask, too, that you would heal the divisions in our land, Father. There are ideological divisions. Teach us to disagree with each other well. There are class divisions. Help us to care for one another and not just for our own interests. And there are racial divisions. Would you please heal us? Be with our sister church, Christian Fellowship Baptist, in our partnership with them. Help us together to be a model of reconciliation across racial lines in our city, our state, our country, and our world. We praise you, Father. We place our faith in you as the one with control. And we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. In your name, amen.